This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. And if you've ever been through a remodeling project, you know that they are all painful. They are all messier than you would think. Things take longer than you would expect. Hence, we've changed our opening date. There are messes that you don't expect. There are things that you wish you didn't have to change. There are things that you want to change, but you can't make them the way that you want. There are so many parallels between what God's trying to do in our lives in renovating us spiritually and what happens in a renovation. Well, today, because every renovation has to address the issue of how do you fund the renovation? How do you pay for this? And when, as soon as we started talking about how are we going to address the finances of spiritual renovation, we realized that all of us are going to run into a problem. Because the truth of the matter is, even though the, the video is kind of cute, and it, and it's, and it has a, a, a truth that none of us can deny, it happens in other people's lives, not ours, but other people's lives, the truth is, the minute church starts talking about money, every one of us starts feeling a little weird. In fact, you've got some uh, notes in your bulletin there. For some, uh, normally, they're sermon notes, but since this is going to be a panel discussion instead, uh, they're really a place for you to write down some of your insights. But at the very top of that notes page, I want you to notice that it talks about uh, being aware of your feelings. And, and I even put a couple categories there. Those are based completely on how I feel most of the time. And you can just put hash marks throughout this morning. If you have one of those feelings, you can just put a hash mark. The truth is, already you could put maybe one or two hash marks under guilty. Oh, I really should. I mean, the video, I'm so convicted. Or maybe already you're irritated. Like, ah, oh, here we go. That's all church people want from me is my money. Now, if... If you're a regular at Crossroads, you know that's actually not true, but it's easy to feel that way. And so before we ever get started on our, on our little talk today, and we're really only going to look at one passage of Scripture, and if you have a Bible, you can turn to it. We're also going to project it. It's 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. It's probably the, the seminal passage in the New Testament about believers and how they should give and how they should handle their finances. We're going to look at that passage. Basically, we're going to read through it, and we're going to make some comments, the three of us. But as we go through this, we knew that before we even get started, we owe you an explanation, which is what you just got. And you probably deserve a promise. So we're going to make you a promise this morning. Our goal in our talk this morning is not to get you to somehow give more money to Crossroads. Period. End of report. That is not our goal. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say that if somehow accidentally you get convicted and you do end the day wanting to give more, I'm going to instruct you, please give it to someone other than Crossroads. Which is, the board's like, Mike, hello, help me. <laughs> And I say that because the first thing we want you to know is that we are not interested in being manipulated or manipulating you at all. But the reason isn't just because we love you and we're nice guys, although we are, and we do. 
The reason for that is because that isn't what God is talking about at all. What we've discovered looking at some of this is that God's perspective on this is so radically different than what we are programmed in our culture and our flesh. It's all about us and getting, getting, getting. And the truth of the matter is, God wants to bless us. Believe it or not, the blessings are bigger than just financial blessings, but they can include financial blessings. So we want to make you a promise, this is not about manipulating, and we don't want you to give something extra to the church. Do you believe me? Yes. Okay, now that's not the only thing that's interesting about a talk like this. Yeah, yeah. So you guys have heard it said that money can't make you happy, right? How many of us want to sign up for that project? Right? Like, I'll be your first test, okay? How about you get send a couple million my way and let's see if this works, right? <laughs> So I'm going to actually suggest to you that I think that money absolutely contributes to your and my happiness. But it's not what you think. So we, so we think more money contributes to our happiness. If I just had more money, I would be happier. I think it's another M word we're looking for. Management. The management of our money absolutely contributes to our happiness. Mm-hmm. See, so if, so if we, this is how it's supposed to look. It's supposed to go this way for the average American is that if, if, if this is time, imagine a graph, and this is your income, it's supposed to go up steadily. And your cost of living is also supposed to go up steadily. But there's supposed to be this gap here between what you make and what you live on. And that's what we would call margin. And the more margin that you have, I guarantee you, the happier you'll be. Except in America, the average American, not you, average American has their income and their cost of living like this. And without that margin, we struggle. So why do you think it is? Why do you think that money is hard to manage? What do you think it is about me? You're going to manage my money better than I'm going to manage my money. I could probably manage your money better than you could manage your money. Why is that? Because when we start talking about other people's money, you would tell me, you say, hey, Nick, it's easy. Just save for your retirement. Put some away for savings. Make sure that you give and then live on the rest. You could say that. It could come out of your mouth. Rehearsed. Perfect. Done. And then we'd each look at ourselves and go, oh, but I didn't know. That was hard for me to do. Because when it comes to our money, there's an emotional tie to it. It's emotional. Money is not neutral. And I'm going to suggest that it shouldn't be. Money absolutely should be emotional. And we're going to talk today about the passage. And in this passage, it's going to talk about it's full of emotion. Two to one, you're going to hear two emotional references to every action reference in this passage. Anytime that we talk about something that's emotional for us, we can be pretty sure that God is in the middle of a renovation project in our heart. He's going to use that. Since God doesn't need our money, why does he talk so much about it? It's probably, probably for our benefit, not for his. But that's not it. It's good. Hey, we also realize that there's probably a generational component to how each of us view money and its use. 
So that's been kind of what's fun these last couple of weeks as we've been talking. We realize the part of the issue is we have different perspectives on money as resources and how to use it just because of our generations. Um, it may not be obvious to you, but I'm the oldest representative here. <laughs> I didn't know they'd laugh. I, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, why is that three, funny? Three weeks, yeah. three weeks before my father's 14th birthday, um, the stock market crashed, October 1929. And so his whole life was shaped by that moment. Uh, he ended up dropping out of high school so he could go to work and help support the family. His father's business failed during that period and he wanted to make sure his younger brother could stay in school and finish. And my father struggled, caught up with his education later after service time, but um, that is military service, and really worked hard at it. So he's the first guy to teach me about money. So that's how, but then I'm a baby boomer. So I came in that uh, post-war boom at the Second World War, and we had a completely different view of money and had a, and so there's all kinds of conflicts going on inside of me. And as I talk to these two guys, I realize they view some of these things differently too because of their setting and their generational issues. So it was refreshing to gather around the passage like 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Because all of a sudden, it wasn't just about our ideas and our opinions. It was, what does God say, and how does that impact us all? And we found a real opportunity to come together and learn lessons from what God was saying. So that's where we're headed. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. If you are using the Bibles on the chairs in front of you, it's page 1146. That's where we're starting. Or you can just watch up here on the screen. So let's read the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they, ur they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. We're going to give you a little bit of background, but uh, what did, do you, what do you, how do you respond? Yeah, so I think it's interesting. We see joy right there linked to poverty. So right away, we see that it's not an amount linked with our happiness. Hmm. But then later, we see joy linked in with their, again, the, the M words come up, management, joy in their generosity, how they're managing their funds produced in them, joy. Yeah, it's amazing. This is really, in some ways, just for background, a kind of a tale of three cities. So if you're not familiar with this part of the world and, and Bible times, uh, he's talking about some people who live up in the cities of what they would call northern Greece, cities like Thessalonica and Philippi. So those are the cities that are from Macedonia. Then there are some cities in southern Greece, big cities like Athens and Corinth. He's talking to the Corinthians. They have a very different situation going on. The people up north in Macedonia are really struggling. The believers there are going through hard trials, but they're still motivated to give, even though they don't have much. They want to experience that joy Nick talked about. Down south, they're well off at this point in their lives, and they have the ability to give, but all of a sudden there's some reluctance to let go. 
Meanwhile, there's a third city, and that's Jerusalem over here in Judea. So we've got the Macedonia, Achaia, and way over here, Judea. And there, the Christians, many of them Jewish, obviously, are really uh, just in desperate straits and really struggling. They need help from their Gentile brothers. And that's what brings Paul to this message. Hmm. So can you feel the tension? Remember that Christianity began in Jerusalem amongst former Jews. Then that message branched out into the Gentile world, and the Jews weren't sure how they felt about that. They, it took quite a bit of convincing to say, look, what God has done among us, he's doing among them. Okay. Now suddenly the Jews in Jerusalem are suffering under extreme poverty and famine. And it's a chance for these other Gentile churches to contribute and help. What a great way to put their money where their mouth is. And so that's the context here that we're talking about, is that there's an opportunity to respond in kind and to replace a blessing that they had received with a blessing that they could give. You read next? Yeah, so let me read on. I'll pick it up in verse 6. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Amen. Wow. Hey, I must have gone to a, a similar uh, youth group that um, Ben went to where we had to learn all these answers to questions. Because when we were asked, what is grace, we were taught to say it was great riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E. And that's always helped me to remember what grace is. And that's what Paul's getting to in this passage. He wants to start off by saying, this is all about grace. It's not about you. Seems like they were full of themselves. He's, I don't know if he's being sarcastic or not. I, I can be sarcastic. And that's the way he sounded to me here. But I don't know. But he said, oh, you're so good at everything. You're in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in your earnestness. But let's see how you can do on this giving. It's, sometimes it's easy to brag about other accomplishments, but boy, giving really means something because that means I'm giving up something from myself to the needs of others. And it's, a, it's something that can't be imposed on you. It comes from the inside out, especially if we're going to be generous about it. In a way, I think uh, Paul would make the point that grace uh, means that God's Holy Spirit is at work in their lives. And he wants to be careful how they treat his prompting. I don't know if you remember last week, but we talked about the not-not walk. Anybody remember that? Uh, come on, raise your hand. You remember the not-not walk? Okay. Oh, look at that. Yeah, all right. Yes. All yeah, right. And Pastor, Pastor Mike told us, among other things, do not quench the spirit. So I think he wants to caution the Corinthians. If God is starting to work on your heart about this matter of giving, if he's working that out on the inside so that you give, watch out you don't quench him. Because you know God's grace. And the example is what Jesus did. Think of what he did. He left everything of heaven's glory to come down and live among us. 
so that through his death on the cross, we could be forgiven and enjoy every other spiritual blessing and many other blessings besides. So in light of what he did for you, how can you hold back? And if the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, please don't quench him. You know, I, I just wanted to add in here that in verse 8, he says, I'm not commanding you. That's sort of what we've tried to lead with, right? He's saying to the Corinthians, and you remember the Corinthians, we spent some time reading that first letter to Corinth, where they really thought they had it together. They thought they were more gifted than others. And it's interesting, and I agree with you, I think maybe there's a little bit of sarcasm, but more than that, I think he's basically using their words to urge them. He says, hey, since you guys are so accomplished, here's a chance to put your money where your mouth is. I'm not commanding you, but... So even before we go on, let me just ask you what we've already asked ourselves. How am I going to respond when someone says, when the Spirit of God says, I'm not commanding you to do this, but this is an opportunity to respond with a grace that is similar to the grace that you received. What do you think you would like to do? It's not even about what you and I should do. The truth is, I think God is very happy with Crossroads when it comes to finances. Uh, in fact, at the beginning of this, this uh, financial year, our treasurer told us that he had reason to believe that you know, we could expect to be a few $10,000 increments uh, short of what our projected budget was going to be. We hit a couple of challenging things, and, and he just gave us a heads up, hey, this is going to be a tough year. Now halfway into the year, the Crossroads budget is $5,000 ahead of where we were this time last year. In fact, in our meeting, he said, I have no explanation for that except God is good. Now, I know some of NBC, we're still blending these two churches. NBC's a little bit behind. Believe me, we've been there too. But we're blessed, and I think God's really happy with your generosity. We don't have a complaint. It isn't about a complaint. It is about an opportunity. He says, I'm not commanding you, but hey, it, what would you like to do? They said they wanted to help generously. Paul just says, all right, then let's put it out there. It's really challenging. In fact, the three of us, to move on in the passage, verse 10, the three of us want your best in this. That's why we want to talk to you about these kinds of things like stewardship and resources, because we want your best. Paul says this, here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were, not on, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Yeah, so I think it's interesting. He comes back to that desire, that emotion, right? And so for me, if I'm speaking for my generation of millennials, uh, we, are, we are pretty desire-filled. We have a lot of opinions, and we are not afraid to share them on a moment's notice. Um, but, in, but in this passage, he's talking about, okay, the desire is where it begins. The act is where it's completed. So if we're just going to talk a good game, we've done nothing. We're just going to desire to do good. 
you haven't actually done it. Sometimes it can feel like you did good, you know? <laughs> I desired enough, I got a really emotional Facebook post and a couple people responded, so there we go. <laughs> Not it. It's only halfway there. In fact, if we don't move to complete the act that we so desire to do, it's incomplete. Mm -hmm. It's done. It's challenging. So he goes on to say, um, keeping in our best, and this is for us. This is for us. This, this desire is for us. Our desire is, in verse 13, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have, have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. So if you've been around Crossroads any length of time at all, you've heard us say something like this. It's, it's actually one of the foundational pieces of who we are as a group. You see, we, you, us as a body of believers has a heart to minister to those who have needs. When I talk to my other pastor friends of churches that are 10 times our size, and I find out that they're giving to benevolence about the same as you are, I just want to explode with pride. But you don't do that as a result of the great teaching you received. It's not even because you're such great people. It's that it's as though we know something, and that's what Paul's hinting at. That when we have the chance to bless someone else, not only is it a source of great joy, but we do it with a sort of pragmatic understanding. Um, in fact, every time we help somebody out through love and action, I, I almost always say to them, hey, look, look, look. Hang. Oh, I'm so, no, I don't want to take. I'm so, they you know, apologize. They're a little embarrassed. And I stop and say, it could be me next time. None of us are immune from this. I do wonder, though, how it is that people make it through this difficult world without having a group of people that has their back. Now, we're, we're a congregation. We, we, are, we have, we have, are, at our size, we can't meet every single need that comes along. But we do make this promise. Whatever it is you're going through, nobody goes through it alone. There is something missing in the world today. What's missing is justice. It makes great news stories. It great, makes great little movies. But the truth is, our world is filled with injustice. The whole reason Jesus redeemed us is because he's in the process of redeeming his creation. Remember, the problem of sin started in the heart of a person. So his repairing creation starts in the heart of a person. When we realize we're sinners, Jesus died in my place, I'm going to trust him as my savior. It begins there, but it doesn't stop there. It flows out then in a life that is generous, not because we're generous people, but because we serve a generous savior. We get a chance to address what is, I believe, the biggest need in our world today, and that is injustice. And that's exactly what Paul says. He says, look, I'm not trying to pressure you so that somehow you're going to lose and somebody else wins. This, the goal here is equality, that whoever has a need is helped. And there is a unity there. There is a strength there. And when the world watches, how many preaching 
faces, voices do they hear? All kinds of religious opinions, all kinds of religious doctrines, all kinds of forceful TV shows. But when they meet a group of people who put their money where their mouth is, they cannot deny that God is doing something here. This is perhaps one of the most thrilling things for me as a pastor is to know that we don't even have to do a lot of talking. We can let our walking do our talking. We're going to read on. Starting verse 16. Here he is talking about those who gathered much don't have too much, and those who gather little don't have, don't have too little. Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern that I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. Do you hear that theme, by the way, over and over? Not compelled, on their own, they asked. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he, has cho he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. We're really encouraged that um, some of the people that we have here at this church helping us with our finances and helping with the distribution of the funds for love and action and other programs um, are men of integrity because the one thing that's really needed here is trust there's two things going on when we talk about money one is uh, we have a relationship with our lord as we give and we want to honor him and we want to do what's right in his eyes we also want to be careful to do what is right in the eyes of men so we need men and women of unquestioned integrity to help us in that and uh, here at this church, we do that. We have, uh, there's a certain group of people that count. Nobody ever has the money alone in the room. Uh, there, there's counting done. They record the amounts. That's then passed on into bank accounts, and the treasurers receive information. And, and uh, the board is the one who authorizes various payments and, and judgments. So everything is very careful because we want it to be known to everyone that looks at us and how we do things, and to each of you that your money is being cared for wisely. There's something that happens when, when you give your money, whether it's uh, taking up the challenge that Pastor Mike has made to, to give it to somebody in need, maybe an individual or an organization you know of, or if it's giving it to the church, when you pass that along, put it in the plate, put it in the envelope, hand it into somebody else's hand, you really lose control of it. It's not yours anymore. It was yours before, but then when you hand it over, it's not yours anymore. Somebody else is in charge. And we want to assure you that when that recipient is our church, that we care for it, because now we know that it's not just ours, it's the Lord's, and you have given it to us in trust so that we will use it well and wisely so that lives may be impacted. This whole matter of administering the liberal gift is just crucial. We need to be able to trust and be men and women of integrity in how we handle our resources. Amen. How many scandals have you heard about? Mm. Are we done? Do you know how important it is that we do this well? That's exactly what Paul is saying there. He says, we sent along people with us, people that you know, people that they know, that they trusted. The whole issue here is one of trust. There's virtually nothing that we pray, uh, 
value more than your trust. Um, just last night, it happened just last night. I, I got a digital message from someone. Turns out that earlier in the week, a family member of this person reached out to Crossroads Community Church because they were in desperate shape. The whole family had been kicked out of their home. They were living in a motel room. They had no work, no prospects for income. They couldn't pay their bills. They're just in desperate shape, and, they're, and they need help. Now, my first reaction, because this actually happens to us quite a bit, my first reaction is to smile. First of all, why do they contact us? <laughs> because they already have heard that Crossroads helps. I ask, well, have you checked with other churches nearby where you live? Oh, yeah, none of them will help. But something else happened. A day or two later after that message came in, just last night, a family member wrote me, and they were appalled. They found out that this other person in their extended family reached out to us and asked for help, and basically the message was, you shouldn't help them. They make bad decisions. They waste their money on things that aren't important. It's just, it's just all, and they shouldn't, and it's your day, they don't deserve it, and you really shouldn't, and I'm so embarrassed, and I had to coach them as much and say, Stop. If we only helped people that deserve it, we wouldn't be doing a lot of helping. <laughs> Secondly, trust the people who do this work regularly. They are not easily fooled. They're not gullible. And they have gained the experience and the wisdom to know how to, how to start with some small gift and then to also add to that gift some reciprocating responsibility. We often will say, we'd be happy to help you get here on a Sunday. It's not because we want to pad the, the church chairs. It's because we want to face-to-face -face with them. And if they can't even get here to get some help, how committed are they to making the other changes that will be necessary? And so it starts there. And they show up, and then we say, hey, here you are. We're going to help. And here's, here's the thing. Would you meet with so-and-so and sit down? Let's look, look, let's look over your budget. Let's add up a few things and uh, see how you're doing. See if we can't help you. Now, what, how are you going to take care of this? And we begin to coach. We help, but we coach. In fact, just, just today we were talking about somebody who said, they did what you instructed yes, them, right? Yeah. They said, wow, I, we went to those places. You're right. The food is so much cheaper, and we were able to get a huge win. A huge win. Yep. So it's a matter of trust. Trust these folks. And, and let us try to use what God has gifted us with to leverage it for real renovation in somebody's life. I'm going to keep reading. Verse 22. It's hard to read and do this. He goes on, he goes, in addition, we are sending with them our brother who is often proved to us in many ways. Now he's using brother and this brother and that brother. These are people that the, uh, the audience would have known. Okay, so he's not using their name. We get a little lost in here. But basically, these are the people that these, these guys know and trust. Who is often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous and even now more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, there's another one of the guys coming along. He is my partner and co-worker among you. As, as for our brother, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. These are high-quality people. And then he says this, Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. 
I do think that sometimes in our culture, we start treating money like it's so evil and embarrassing, it's almost like it like, uh, shouldn't be seen in public. We slip things in the offering plate, you know, and, and it's also secret and whatever, and we would never, ever announce who gives what. That's not true in all cultures, by the way. Some cultures will parade the offering right up here. And first time I was a part of that, I thought to myself, that is terrible. People could become so prideful as they walk up there and put in that big money. But I also saw the other part of it. I saw people watching the first people give, or they would announce what the pastors and the board had given. Why? So that they could be prideful? Or because then the rest of them are stirred up. They did what? How? I was at a, at a mega church. We were members there. And they were doing a big building campaign. And I remember how impressed I was that one of the very first things I heard was that the senior pastor was driving this old beat-up car. They were not going to get a new car for the next three years, and they weren't taking any out-of-state vacations. Nobody made him do that. I don't know if he was prideful to letting people know that or not. That's his problem. I'll tell you how it affected me. I said, I can do that. I can do that. So here's the question, and that is, does it matter when we find out what the giving is? Does it matter to you? How do we respond when we see people or when somebody says, hey, put your money where your mouth is? Is the... Is our response to that always negative? Should it be? Or is there a positive part of that when we're challenged to move on? The Bible tells us we need to be careful. We must not love money, but we can love with our money. That's good. That's great. That's great. Hey, it goes on. He picks up that same theme here. There is no need for me to write to you about the service of the Lord's people. For I know your eagerness to help. And I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred up most of them to action. There again, that emotion, right, Nick? Yeah, so again, we see this emotional response to money, enthusiasm. Here we see a positive one um, going with the enthusiasm. And that's what we see that stirs other people. So I don't know, you don't have to go much further than a football game to understand that you could be stirred to emotion, whether you know what's happening or not. You could just jump up and start screaming. Um, it, so it brings to mind a couple years ago, um, a bunch of us, about four of us, got together. And there was this mom in great need, and she was walking two miles to work and two miles back, and she couldn't see her kids because um, she didn't have any kind of transportation. And so we felt like we had to go do something about this. And so we kind of like gathered our pennies together. Like we don't make much money at all, so we just gathered what we could. It wasn't much. Um, and our plan was to go to an online auction, and we were going to bid on cars. And hopefully with this little bit of money that we had, we would get a car for this mom. So we prayed before the online auction. We said, Lord, I know this is probably impossible, but can you have us be the only people that bid on the car? So we get it, right? We only got a couple hundred. Like, this is, this is the only way it's going to work. So we proceed on this online auction, and we're going. And one, one by one, people started visiting our little group of people. And they asked what we, what we were doing, and we were pretty excited. Like, we were like, man, if we could just land this car, for this mom, like she, she could go see your kids and then she could drive to work. It would be great. Never asked for a penny. And each person that visited us would pull out their checkbook and write a check, pull out some cash and give it to us. 
and we're like floored. So that happened multiple times throughout the day, never asking for one cent, and yet accumulating a pile of money. Still no car. Still, we're still not outbidding anybody. Last person comes through and says, hey, what are you guys doing? So we share the story. We're all kind of looking like, aren't they going to get money? Like, <laughs> what's going to happen? And she says, uh, my boyfriend is selling his car. She had no clue what we had on the table. I was the only one who knew what we had on that table. I said, how much? She said, $1,800. I said, guys, we have $1,900 on this table. We could get that car and the taxes and the tags, all with what we have here. So we ended up buying that car for that mom. That mom, that week, went to go see her kids and got 50% custody back of her children because she had transportation. She got a promotion at work. Guys, we were so excited. It wasn't about the car, and it wasn't about money. We were like, we've got to do this again. Like, we, we just have to do this. This was so cool. Um, so we, being a part of, of, of that enthusiasm that stirs others to action, it is difficult. It's very difficult because you don't want to come across as prideful or boastful but how do you not share stories like that? Mm. Like, how, how does that not inspire other people? It says, let your good work shine before men. Amen. So it's an important part. Our enthusiasm about how we manage our money is vital to those around us. I'm going to keep reading. Verse 3. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any... Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared. We, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one begrudging, begrudgingly given. Uh, this is kind of a difficult time for the Corinthians. They've got to really figure out what it is they're going to do, if they're going to follow through and be generous. Uh, otherwise, people will, uh, through the ages, only remember them as being a selfish and stingy people. But Paul wanted everybody, all the brothers and sisters, to remember them as being generous. And he says, um, be generous because of grace, not grudgingly. Mm. I think that's the opposite of grace and generous, isn't it? To be grudging. Um, sometimes you may wonder if, uh, if how the Lord works in our lives as, as preachers when we prepare. And it has been my experience, I'm sure you guys too, that sometimes right in the midst of our study, God does things that reinforce things. Mm. I was going over my notes this morning, just kind of remembering what I was going to say. was looking at this part of the passage, and I got a call from somebody very close to me, who I said, hey, um, Dad, if... <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> um, so uh, anyhow, the person wanted to borrow money. And uh, I stopped by for some cash. And I, said, I just lent the money a couple days ago. And, and I was really... Here I am. I was, I was grudging. I, said, I guess I can. I guess, and I didn't say that to them. I said, okay, stop by and we'll talk about it. And then the Lord came to me and says, okay, you now have 25 minutes 
to get happy. <laughs> because otherwise, otherwise they're going to know that you're grudging, that you're going to hand it to them oh, with a grouchy gosh. face. They're going to know that you grudge the money. And what will that do to your relationship with that person, whoever it is? And, um, but whoever it is in your life. How, and so I had 25 minutes to get on my knees and pray this through so that I could give generously with a hug and not grudgingly. Because how that would have wrecked the relationship. Paul is just pleading with them. Don't let the whole world think you're stingy. Let them know that you're generous because of God's grace and what he's doing in your life. I, I got to say this. You know, sometimes some of you get the impression that we as pastors are ahead of you. We are. But it's 25 minutes or less. That's all. That's, right. <laughs> That's it. Okay. We are learning this stuff just a few minutes before, you know. Which is, so really, we are all in the same boat. That's good. Exactly. Hey, remember this, though. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. For it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness, and you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Yeah, I got to jump in there on that first part about sowing. Yeah. I think uh, for most of my life, I grew up with the knowledge of the Bible and being told that if you give, you will get. If you give, you will get. If you give, you will get. Now, at some point, I learned math. And so I was like, wait, if I have four and I give two away, I have less. And everything in the Bible is telling me, I'm going to have more. And so this was a hard concept for me to grasp, but it wasn't until I came into 2 Corinthians 9 that I got the concept. When you give to God, you are investing. And I, we all understand investing. Invest, you invest your money to get a return. That is why you invest your money. What if God was overseeing your portfolios? Mm. Like, how excited would we be if we got to go back in time and invest in certain companies? Right? I mean, they, said, they just said Bitcoin went through the roof. Anyone who invested in Bitcoin looks like a genius now. <laughs> I mean, talk about excited. Talk about enthusiastic. Talk about generous, right? I think we'd be pretty generous with our money if we could go back in time and invest it, right? We would be giddy. It would be cool. That was the first time I understood that giving is sowing. You're sowing when you're giving. It's not just leaving you. That's going to come back. Mm. That was a really cool, mind-changing concept for me. Yeah, that's great. He says in verse 7, he says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly but or under compulsion. Uh, Paul said something like that similar in the, at the end of 1 Corinthians 16, when he's talking about how do we give. And he says uh, he doesn't want us to be manipulated with an emotional story or a little video that makes us tear up, and then you're like, okay, and you dig for it. He wants us to actually think ahead, plan ahead. What are we going to give I don't know if that happens in your home, but before you even leave the house, before you come to church. By the way, what are we given? Where are we at? Have we decided this? He wants it to be nothing wrong with emotion, but he wants this also to be generated through our thinking. Not so much math as a desire to invest. 
He says, God loves a cheerful giver. Really, the original language, the idea is there is, is he loves this hilariousness. See, and you say, well, I would be hilarious too if I was as rich and owned everything and the cattle on a thousand hills. If I were that rich and I could just give away and never worry about it, I'd be hilarious too. If you're a believer, you are. You are. <laughs> like, oh, that's nice. It's one of those church, church concepts, you know? Like, it's not true anywhere else in the real world, just church. And yet, when we cross over that threshold, we can look like genius investors. That's what he says he loves to bless. He loves to be hilarious with people who are hilarious. But it's still up to us to decide what we're going to give. Sometimes we talk about what we give as a donation or a contribution. We have other terms we use in talking about our finances. But I think uh, Paul, for sure, wants us to focus on the fact that it's not a donation. It's an investment, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it occurs to me, too, he talks about this enlarging the harvest of your righteousness. That what happens when we give to meet a need uh, is something bigger than just a money transaction. Nick's uh, illustration was right on point with that, wasn't it? They not only helped somebody get a car, they saved a family. They, it, what, what they did just kind of rumbles down through eternity in the differences they made in lives. When, when you help out somebody, if you take on the challenge this week to help out somebody, um, you're going to change their life, and it's going to change your relationship with them. If you gave them money to, help, to meet, meet a need, you're going to start praying for them. Mm. You're going to look at them differently. You're going to build a relationship stronger. You may have the opportunity now to help them in their spiritual growth. The harvest of your righteousness goes well beyond just the money that you give. So you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, which is exactly what you're saying. It's not just a transaction, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of this service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Now, when he thinks about the grace that God has given, Paul's mind goes back to Jesus himself which is why he says, and thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So there are a couple of ideas here as we close. There's the idea of word and deed. You don't have to be around church long before you realize that it's not all that hard to learn the talk. In fact, I remember, I mean, remember, <laughs> every other week I wonder, am I just talking this or do I really believe this? And usually the minute that question crosses my mind, the Lord gives me a chance to follow through indeed. And usually it costs me a little something. 
And in the end, I say, okay, thank you. You see, word and deed. How is your word and deed ratio? Another concept is this idea of challenge. Other people watching, other people responding to what we do, us doing it, knowing that we're following through on what we said. There's a challenge. Over and over, Paul says, I want, I want your gifts to stir. I want to stir you to action, and I want you to stir others to action. Can we just be honest as pastors? Sometimes we're a little afraid to actually say to you what we want to say. It's not for our benefit. I mean, we don't get rich. Well, I get rich. But you guys don't get rich at this. Uh, <laughs> It can sound so self-serving. We're afraid that it sounds like we're trying to, in, and, and bef- we're afraid to say to you, get on it. Knock it out of the park. Not only will you do something that honors God, other people are stirred up, and people thank God. We're, we're moving to a new campus in Montgomeryville. It would be nice to not have to set up here and tear down every week, but that's not why we're doing it. If that were the case, we don't have to do all this remodeling. Why are we remodeling? We're doing everything we can because we want to be a source of light and hope in that community again. We want people, we want neighbors to say, I don't know, I'm really glad that church is here. Boy, they're great. We want township officials to say that. We want neighbors to know that if something goes wrong, they can run down to the church. We don't even go there. And it's because of what Jesus did for us, and it flows out. Stir you to action. I guess maybe one of the things we want to ask is, do we have your permission to stir you to action? We cannot do it against your will. We would not. And so we would ask you to think about his indescribable gift. Jesus, who even though he was in the very form of God, didn't think that being equal with God was something that he had to hang on to. And so instead, he made himself, fashioned himself as a servant, came in the likeness of human flesh, living among us and eventually dying for us. When he died, he made the atonement for sin. And now he offers eternal life to anyone who would believe because of his indescribable gift. Compared to that, everything else feels like chump change. I'm going to invite you. Anything else you guys add? This has been, we're really interested to know if this is helpful for you. So please feel free. You got a little, uh, I've got a question card in your bulletin. Uh, we obviously don't have time to do that tonight, but if, if you, today, but if you have questions, write them down. Leave them in a few minutes. We're going to take an offering. Um, drop it in the offering. Leave it at the welcome table. We want to circle back around and get good at com- communicating you and I, uh, you guys and us. Um, so we hope that this has been helpful. Can I uh, invite you to bow your heads for just a second? Okay, so again, we've been asking you to tally emotions. We know that there is no way that we can talk about money without stirring feelings. How are your feelings? Do you feel manipulated? Do you feel irritated? 
or something happening deep in your heart and you're starting to well up with a sense of thankfulness. That sense of thankfulness is a little scary because you realize where it's going to take you and you're still a little afraid to part with your stuff. We've, we're all there, you guys. And so we want to stir one another to say, if I can trust him with my eternal destiny, can I trust him with $500? No one thinks that somehow you should go without so that someone else can have. The idea is we get to just give part of what God's been sending to us, and we know it overflows. And so just between you and God, is there something that perhaps you need to think about doing differently in the coming days? I hope so. I hope you do it for your sake and for the glory of God. In just a few seconds, the ushers are going to come forward and wait on our morning offering. This is not so that, oh, now here's the time you can drop that big one in the, in the plate. Boom. It, no. But this is how we who are regulars here support the work of this ministry. But remember what we said. This isn't about giving to Crossroads. This is about you learning that you can give to God. So I want to remind those of you who are guests, drop that Connect card in. That could be your gift to us. And I want to thank you again in advance for your faithfulness in supporting Crossroads. That's why we can grow and move to a new campus and do all these things. God bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we started today by watching a little video talking about your pie. And the truth is that we divvy up these things that we have, and it's so easy for us, especially in this culture, to forget that you brought the pie in the first place. And it's not that you need a slice of it. You don't need anything from us. But what you do want us, you don't want something from us, you want something for us. And that is this idea that we can be free from the love of these things and instead engage with your kind of grace. We are so thankful for what you have done and we want it to affect how we respond. So I ask that you do this work in all of our hearts, including the three of us up here on stage. We all need you to continue to purify these motives so that you receive glory. So now as we give these gifts, I pray that you would bless those who give. I pray that you bless these gifts, help us to be good stewards, multiply their effectiveness. And I pray that you would do something through this that would cause heads to turn, that would cause people to talk about you and your people. Thank you for giving us the ability to minister to other people's needs. Teach us to be faithful with that. So bless this gift, these offerings, and, and be glorified as we give it, we ask in Jesus' name precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.